From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, good morning, Parkway Church. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in to Church Online today. We're so glad to have you a part of our online community today. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Mitch. I'm a pastor here at Parkway. Uh, pastor Call is on vacation with his family this week, so we hope that they're blessed and rested this week. So um, I'm really uh, excited and honored to give the word this morning. Why don't we, uh, before we dig into the word, why don't we, um, why don't we just call on Holy Spirit to come and anoint us as we listen to the word today and just call on the blessing of Jesus. So God, we thank you that we can gather here in your house God, we thank you for what you're already doing. We thank you for that awesome time um, of your presence during worship, Lord. I I pray that the same uh, presence of God, the same power that was in this room that I could sense so strong was in the room of the people watching in their houses, in their bedrooms, wherever they're watching from today. We pray, uh, God, that you would send your Holy Spirit to come and anoint us, Father, to hear your word today, to receive it, and to live it out today. We pray that we would be challenged today and brought closer with you. And everybody at home and in the building said, Amen. So, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Um, uh, This series that we've been talking about uh, has pointed us toward generosity. We've talked about giving. We've talked about tithing. We've talked about offering what we've been given by God back to him as worship. And today we're going to look a little bit deeper into that as we are in our last part of our This Is What We Do series. But today we're going to shift our focus um, not away from possessions, not away from finances, but slightly, I would say, adjust our focus into what I'm going to call today holistic generosity. So let's go uh, Mark chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 3 to 9. It says this. Um, And this is uh, Jesus at the house of a man named Simon, and a little bit of a theater of the mind before we start uh, today. Back uh, in in the times that Jesus uh, was alive, um, we eat at big, tall dinner tables, right? Um, We have our big tables with the leaf in them that pull out. We got our big uh, chairs. The way they used to sit at tables um, back in Jesus' time is that the table was only about a foot off the ground. And it was, it was long, it was on the ground, and people uh, would recline at, on the floor. So they would have their legs off to the side, and they would literally sit and eat at the floor, almost as if you were eating at your coffee table. You know, when you were a kid, and you'd watch TV, and your parents got to sit on the couch, but you had to eat from the coffee table. So it's kind of like that. So just a little bit uh, of a mental image. So let's start at verse 3. We're going to read until verse 9. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Um, Quickly, before we move on, I don't know why it was called nard. I wouldn't want anything called nard poured on, on me, but apparently it was very expensive. So anyway, they could have came up with a better name for it than that. But some of those present... We're saying indignantly to one another, why is this, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. 
The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, we're going to look today at holistic generosity. We're going to look at generosity flowing out of us as second nature, as generosity um, being a lifestyle or a mindset of generosity in every facet of life. Again, we focused already on tithing and giving financially and the blessing that comes with that and how God is, is an incredible God who his economy always works harder than we do. But today, again, and in, in, I guess you could say finances are included in what I'm talking about today because that's part of the holistic generosity. But we're going to adjust our focus on um, every other area of our life. Because our calling is to worship God. We know this as believers. Our ultimate divine calling as humans is to worship God with what he has given us. Have you ever met somebody in your life? Um, I want you to think of a person that you've met in your life that is so protective of their things. Have you guys ever met somebody like that? Have you ever met somebody who is so protective of their things? They don't like to let people borrow their stuff. Um, they, it, it, they don't even like you to look at their stuff sometimes. You know those guys who have the really expensive cars and when they go to a parking lot, they park like way, 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 way in the corner so nobody can ever see it or go near their car, you know? Um, does anybody know somebody like that who's stingy, who, um, you know, they, they don't even want to buy their buddy a $1.50 coffee because that's their hard-earned money? You guys know anybody that I'm talking about? I know a few people like that. But today, we're going to look at generosity as an act of worship in all areas of our life. But today, we're going to focus mostly on the most important gift that God has given us. The most important thing God has given us, if any of you know it in the room or at home, time. Time is the most incredible thing, the most precious gift that God has given us is time. So let's go back to that term, holistic generosity. Let's visit that right now. This is generosity in every stream of life. This is generosity with your family, at your workplace, when you're out at the grocery store. This is living and breathing and thinking and believing generosity in all areas of your life. We're going to read quickly Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 35. I think that this passage is an incredible illustration of holistic, all-encompassing generosity. So again, if you, if you know your Bible, the book of Acts is uh, the book um, that was written. It, it, these events happen right after Jesus goes back up into heaven. And, and what we're reading is the very first church, the early church, uh, a couple thousand years ago, that we are birthed out of. These are the very first believers. So verse 32, we're going to start at to 35, says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was, listen, there was no needy persons among them. 
From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So obviously this seems a little bit of an extreme case, people selling their houses and selling their land and giving it to those in need. But I think what it does, at the time, that was the way that the church helped those in need. That's how they were generous to the people in their community. They knew that if they were going to do the work of Christ, they needed to be generous and they needed to take care of one another and they needed to take care of those in their community. So terms like giving, generosity, blessing, tithing, they're almost always associated with finances. And and there's a reason for this. Because money matters to God. Money matters to God. A lot of uh, believers don't like hearing about when we talk about money. And, And I'll tell you a little secret. Us pastors don't really like talking about money either. But we have to because it matters to God. I I forget the exact number, but if you look at the number of passages in the Bible and in in like the Proverbs and the wisdom writing of of the scriptures, money and finances and generosity matter to God. It's so important. But these terms, giving, generosity, tithing, blessing, it applies to our time as well. These terms apply to our time and our resources. Everything we have has been given to us by God for God. I'm gonna, I want everybody in the room and everybody at home to say that with me. By God for God. One more time. Everything that we have has been given to us by God for God. Nothing we have is our own. And our time is a gift. Every heartbeat, every breath that we've been given is a gift from the Father because he loves us. But listen, it's not just so we can enjoy our life. God doesn't give us time for us to have a a fun time, for us to enjoy ourselves the whole way through. Not that God doesn't want us to enjoy our lives. But listen, God treats you like an investment. We cannot forget that. Um, for those of you who are into investing, you might know the term diversified portfolio. Yes, I, I'm an adult now. I know what a diversified portfolio is, okay? I, know what I, I somewhat know what I'm talking about. But God treats you and me and his church like a diversified portfolio. God has given you the finances you have. He has given you the time that you have. He has given you the abilities and the talents and the skills and the passions because he wants a return on his investment. He's given you those things for him, by God, for God. So you need to understand, God expects a return on his investment. God expects, his plan is to give you these things so you can sow back into his kingdom. The same way when you invest in stocks or you invest in bonds or whatever you invest in, hopefully not Bitcoin because it's pretty crazy, um, that you get money back on your investment. And God has invested in you so you can give him a return on the kingdom of God. Never lose sight of that. 
He plants seeds for his kingdom. But listen, in order for God, in order for his return of his investment to come, it requires our generosity. Now, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that God needs us people. God is way more powerful, way smarter, way more creative than we ever will be all combined and put together. But in order for that return, to give God a return on the investment he's given us, it requires our generosity. If we are stingy with what we have, if we, are, um, if we claim of what God's given us as our own, including our time and our abilities and our skills and talents... That return is never going to happen. God is not going to get the return on his investment. So let's focus right now on giving of time. I think time can actually be one of the hardest things to give. I think time for a lot of people is actually just as difficult. It might even be more difficult to give than than finances. Some people guard their time very, very tightly. Our schedules in North America are filled to the brim. Look, church, I don't have any kids yet, but my, I already feel like my schedule is full to the brim. We fill our schedule um, with, with everything in life, and, and life has so many demands on us. And life gives us so many demands um, between work, family, housekeeping, going to the gym, keeping up with our friendships and our relationships, watching the next coolest Netflix series. Our schedules are filled to the brim. Sometimes I feel like every single minute of my week is accounted for. So that means if God asked me to do something or or needed me uh, to do some work for his kingdom, I would, like, what am I going to say to him? Sorry, God, my schedule is full this week. You're going to have to ask me next week. It's an exhausting way to live. But what would happen, church? I'm going to propose something to you. What would happen if you started not just to tithe your money, but cut a tithe of your time and offered it to the Lord? What if you cut a tithe, a portion of the time that God has given you, and you offered it up to him? Let's maybe dive into what would happen there. But we're going to look at that in a a couple of moments. But if time is the most valuable thing that we've been given, why would God not expect a return on it? If time is the most important and precious and valuable thing that God has sown into you, why would we not offer that up to him? Why would that not already belong to him just like everything else? In his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer writes about the two biggest threats to Christianity. Now, little side note here. I think everybody should read this book. Um, Again, it's called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's written by Pastor John Mark Comer. And this book has changed my life. It has changed the way that I look at time and Sabbath and rest and connecting with Jesus. Um, It is a fantastic book. And in his book... He mentions what he thinks is the biggest threat to Christianity or the biggest obstacle that the church needs to face. And at first, I kind of was, thought he was insane. I was like, that's a silly answer. Listen, the answer is not a tyrannical government that's opposing Christians trying to shut the church down. His answer wasn't a society that's opposed to Christian values. 
His answer wasn't even Christians falling into sin and becoming too much like the world. Do you want to know what his answer was? What he thinks the biggest threat to the church is? Christians not knowing how to manage their time and to take Sabbath. And when I first heard that, I said, you really think Sabbath and offering God our time is the biggest struggle, the biggest obstacle to the church? But if we as the church, as Christians, as believers, are supposed to take over the world, if we're supposed to radically change the fabric of planet Earth, we're supposed to see crowds of people come to Jesus, if we're supposed to see communities completely revolutionized and turn to Jesus and have this world flipped upside down, how are we supposed to do that if we can't even spend time with Jesus every day? If believers can't even take a couple of minutes out of their day to read their word and pray, how on earth are we going to flip this world upside down? A lot of Christians live their life on a treadmill trying to keep up their relationship with Jesus. It's like, I haven't spent time with Jesus this week. I'll go to church this Sunday. We're trying to maintain our walk with Jesus. If we can barely keep our own relationship with Jesus above water because we can't spend enough time with him, how are we ever going to rally together and change this world? It's not going to happen. Christians are, and not just Christians, people in Canada, in the United States, in North America, in our Western life, our schedules are so full, we can't even fill ourselves up spiritually. And if we're not filling ourselves up spiritually, how are we going to change this world? It's not going to happen. He mentions in his book that we'll say things, the same principle applies with money as time. We'll say things like, well, maybe if I made a little more money, then I will start to give because then I'll be more comfortable with my finances. We'll say things like, if only there was 48 hours in a day. If there was 48 hours in a day, perfect. I'd have lots of time to pray and spend time in the word. But if you're not spending time with Jesus in the time you have now, that wouldn't change. In the same way that if you're not generous with your finances now, when you have more money, You're not going to be generous then because generosity isn't based on your circumstances. Generosity is a state of the heart. If there were 48 hours in a day, we wouldn't spend more time with Jesus. We would work more hours so we could get into more debt to go on more vacations. We could go to more sporting events for our kids. We could watch more series on Netflix. Let's be honest. Generosity is a state of the heart. It's not based on our circumstances. So if we're not spending time with Jesus now, we never will unless we make a life change. If financially giving, so the principle of tithe that we've learned about, if that, if, if giving God 10% adds his blessing to the 90%, what do you think would happen if you started to tithe some of your time? Now, I'm not challenging you, church, to exactly cut off 10% of your time. Two hours and 40 minutes a day is a lot of time. Or two and a half hours almost is a lot of time every day. I understand. So what I'm not saying, church, is that you have to wake up and spend two and a half hours every day at the very start of your day. What I'm saying to you is begin to offer some of your time as a sacrifice to God. There's different ways you can do that. You can wake up in the morning. 
you can spend time in there, or whenever uh, you, you find you, you can concentrate the best. A lot of people like to get up in the morning and read the Bible. Now, I always pray in the morning as I'm getting ready for my day, but I actually find in the afternoon is when I, I connect with the Word the best. So I try and cut off time in the afternoon, whatever works for you. But listen, connect with Jesus Say, God, here is some of my time, and I'm going to take it. I'm going to cut out some of my schedule, and I'm going to spend this time with you because I need it and because you deserve it, because you're worthy of it, because I'm not going to be able to take over my workplace, my family, without you. Maybe if you start to cut a tithe of your time, your family time will be blessed. Maybe you'll notice your family times improve. Maybe if you start cutting a tithe of your time, you'll notice your work schedule works in your favor. Maybe you'll notice your your career will be blessed. Things at work will start to go really well if you cut a bit more tithe of your time. I'm not saying you you should, and, and, and here's the thing, don't neglect your family. Don't neglect the things that are good. Don't neglect things that God has called you to. But what we need to do is take things out of our schedule the same way that people who give will budget their money to make room for that offering to God. Maybe budget or readjust some of your time in order to offer it to Jesus. Whether that's just connecting with him, whether that's serving in your community, whether that's serving at the church. But schedule that time for Jesus. Serve those in your community. If you see a need in your community, meet that need. If you see somebody in your community or your family or, or somebody from work that needs your time, maybe they need help moving, maybe they need help setting up a TV, I don't know what they need. Meet those needs as an offering to God. That's the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to be a community where people can find help and assistance and refuge. That like we read in the book of Acts, there was no need among them because the church was there. Wouldn't you want Parkway Church to be a place where people who are in great need can come and say, wow, these people took care of me. They gave me their time. They lent me some of their resources. I needed a pickup truck And they lent it to me. I needed somebody to set up my new phone. And somebody from the church came and did that for me. Wow. I have no idea how to do my taxes. But somebody from the church did and helped me with it. Shouldn't the church be known for this? To be assistance to people? To be generous with our time? God also requires not just our time... But he requires our talents and our abilities. I just read a quote on Instagram this week, um, and it really, and it, it was actually really good timing because it fits with what I'm talking about this morning. I don't remember it exactly, but it was along the lines of hiding your skills or hiding your talents from God is not humility. It is not humble to hide your gifts from God. Our talents and abilities and our skills and our passions are given to us, we'll say it again, by God, for God. Just as our finances are, 
just as our time is, just as all of our life's resources are. We, it, we're not to use our abilities, sorry, to not use our abilities for his glory, to, to hide our talents and abilities from God is the same as withholding other things from God. It's the same as being disobedient, I, I, I would say. It's being disobedient to what God has called you to do because he's placed those abilities and talents within you for that return on his investment to his kingdom. Now, there's two sides of this coin as well. God also calls us as believers to stretch and to grow and to change and to step out of our comfort zone. So if you're constantly just, it's too easy sometimes to fall into what we're comfortable with and just do what we're good at and not try new things for the kingdom and, and say to somebody, you know, they need help and say, sorry, that's not my thing. That's not my, that's not my talent. That's not my job. Sorry, can't help you there. As a pastor... I'm constantly listening to podcasts of other preachers. I'm reading books. I'm constantly learning new things about scripture because let's, let's take the, the pastoral side of things out of it and just talk about, let's say, the public speaking side of things, what I'm doing right now in this moment. If I'm not refining my gift and trying to make it the best I can be, or if I, if I say, you know what, I'm not going to preach this week because... I don't feel like it, or I don't want to do it, or that's not where my heart is this week, then I actually believe, to a degree, that's being disobedient. I'm constantly stretching and growing and trying to change what, you know, what I'm able to do as a believer. So don't let your talent become an obstacle. Don't have your talent a God above God himself. I've met Christians over the the past years of my life that their talent is more important than the relationship with God. They serve their talent as who they are, and nobody can touch that, and nobody can change that. So at the same time, offer your gifts to God. That's why he gave them to you. But also, don't let your talent become an obstacle, because nobody can brag. You can't Nobody can flex on their gift because it was given to them by God for God. Because if God wanted to tear that talent from you, trust me, he would. What abilities and talents have you been given? The ones that get, in the church at least, the ones that get the most um, recognition are speakers and teachers, worship band members, people in the sound booth, in the media, in the media team. Sunday school teachers. But what if you've been given the ability to cook really well? What if you have just really strong back and arms and you can move things? What if you have the ability to help people with budgets? People who don't know how to handle their money. What if you're gifted in that area? What if you have really good photography and videography skills? What if God's given you an incredible artistic creativity? What if God's given you the knowledge of how to, and the passion of how to fix cars? Please help. I know nothing about cars. How can you use that for God's kingdom? Because listen, they might seem small. The ability to cook may seem pretty mundane. The ability to fix cars might seem unrelated to the kingdom, but it's not. He's given you that because he wants a return on his investment for the kingdom. So how is he going to get his return from what he's given you? How can you help people budget their money as a worship to God? 
How can you honor God with, with what he's been given you? I just want you to think for a minute what he's given you. Reflect on how you're using it. Is God getting his return? Let's talk about refining your gifts. If your talents and your skills are going to be used by the kingdom and for the kingdom, if they've been given to you by God, for God, do it well. Do it well. I've heard arguments over the lot of years of my life. I'm just kidding. I'm not that old. But my many years, I could say, in the church... And I'm not meaning to, and this is not pointed at anybody specifically. I have to preface with this. This is not condemning. I'm just being honest with you. I've heard people in other churches. I've heard people in this church. I've heard other pastors. I've even heard non-Christians say this to me. I've heard them argue that worship today and church today has become too flashy. Too much like a concert and not enough like church. And listen to me, I agreed for quite a while, actually. I agreed with you. Myself, I used to think things like, why does that church have so much lights on their stage? There's churches that have haze machines on a Sunday morning. What's the point of that? That's ridiculous. This is not a concert. But church, the more I read scripture, the more I understand what that's all for. I've heard people from other worship bands say, your church uses a metronome in your ears and a a track to follow along to. What are you doing? It's not a concert. Church, we are trying to offer God the best that we can with what we have. When When you read in the Old Testament, King David... When he offered worship to to God, he gave the best musicians that he could find the best instruments that he could find. Because David was aware of how incredible God was. And David didn't come with the attitude of like, ah, it's just God. It's it's honestly fine. Like, he'll, he'll like it anyway. I think that's a terrible attitude to have in the church is, well, it's just church. It's really not a big deal if the worship sounds good or not or if the media stuff looks good or not. If the pain is chipped, it's whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just church. Church, do we not offer God the best that we have with what we have? Are we not called to give God the absolute best we can? The Old Testament temple was beautiful. It was made of solid gold parts and and they intricately carved pomegranates. I don't know why God wanted pomegranates in the temple, but he did. They gave him the best that they had. You look at cathedrals built in the 1800s. Beautiful, massive brick buildings with stained glass windows. Do you want to know why? It's because people who were building the churches said, God, we're going to build the best church that we can. So here at Parkway Church, we have been so blessed with our size of church, with the, with the people that we have here. I'm just going to be, to be frank with you. I am blown away by the people that we have at this church. One thing we often hear over the years at Parkway is when people come and visit from out of town, they would say, man, your guys' worship ministry at this church is amazing for your size of church. Wow, your greeters are right on the ball. I never would have expected that. Man, 
your guys' slides and media stuff is really sharp. It's just church. It's not because we want to impress anybody. We're not patting ourselves on the back. It's because we have people who know how to design things that want to give God the best they can. It's because we have musicians up here that buy expensive instruments and practice and rehearse. We have singers that rehearse because we want to offer God the best we can. We refine our gifts. We have greeters who actually have a plan of how to collect offering and hand out emblems because we want it to be the best it can. So, so church, in our lives, in our personal lives, take what you've been given and offer God the best you can with it. Stop having the attitude of, you know what, I'll show up late to my volunteer work in the community today because it's, it's just volunteer work. It's fine. I'm still doing something good. Give it your best. Volunteer the best you can be. Be the best 10-year-old soccer coach that you can be as worship to Jesus. Exodus 31. Exodus chapter 31. We're moving way back into scripture. This is an interesting passage. It's the first time that we see in scripture somebody filled with the Holy Spirit. We know now in our New Testament time, the Holy Spirit is very active in our lives. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. But in the Old Testament, until Jesus died on the cross, that wasn't the case. God would place the Holy Spirit over people for a specific purpose, for a specific time. Now listen, Exodus chapter 31 Starting at verse 1, says this. This is very interesting. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is when they were building um, a place of worship. See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Hissamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. The very first time the Holy Spirit poured out over a person was with the gift of construction, and craftsmanship because God is worthy of such intense and, and perfect worship we as humans can never give him what he deserves but they were doing the best that they could with what they had they offered God their very best this is what we do and I'm again I'm not just talking about church I'm not just talking about giving church your best Give others your best. Give your coworkers your sacrificial generosity at work. Help in your community to the best you can do. I know I'm repeating myself, but it's because the church community is a church outside of these four walls. We need to be generous outside of the church as well as inside. So that what does that mean? That means giving your time to people in need in the community. What better, more effective way can you show people the love of Jesus than generosity? We can tell them God loves them. We can 
sing songs about how God loves people and say, hey man, there's a God out there that loves you. Why don't we just show them with generosity? I want you to take a second and think of the time somebody has been radically generous to you. Like generous where it was stupid, where it didn't make sense. And I want you to think of how that impacted you. Be generous. Give people your best. Because what you've been given is to be given, it was given to you by God for God. There's the the passage we all know if you've grown up in the church. What you do to the least of these, you do unto me. If we can grasp that, if we can remember that, keep that at the forefront of our minds, this is what we do. My last point here is how generosity aligns our heart with God's heart. Generosity is not human nature. Generosity does not come naturally to people. We have to learn generosity. We have to be shown generosity before we act generously. We have to experience generosity for ourselves. We have to see it at work. Think of toddlers. When do you ever hear, what is the one thing you always hear a toddler yell when they're playing with with other toddlers? That's mine. Toddlers don't like to share. Nobody likes to share. We have to teach young children to share and to be generous with one another. Generosity is not human nature, so that means that it's a spirit nature. It's the very spirit of God. It's the attitude of God. And a worshipful heart is a generous heart. One, uh, One that pours out what it has for the glory of God. The same way that we pour out our worship and our, and our praise out of our mouths to God is the same way we need to be generous and pour out what we've been given. A, a generous heart is a worshipful heart. So let's return to that story that we initially read. I haven't forgotten about it. The story of the woman who poured the perfume on Jesus' feet. People thought it was a waste. They thought she was wasting this perfume on God or on Jesus, they were saying she could have used it for this. She could have done it with this. They put their own ideas and stipulations on what she should have done. But she took what she had, that jar of nard, (laughs) ew. She took the jar of perfume that some say was equal to a year's wages. Think about that for a second. Translate that into today. I think the average Canadian person, I think, makes like $45,000 a year. A $45,000 bottle of perfume she broke open over Jesus' feet. That is crazy. But what, what, what was the point? Her heart wanted to pour out what she had to Jesus. She poured out her heart on Jesus. There's a song by worship leader Kim Walker that says, I'm going to waste it all on you. I'm going to pour out my heart's perfume. Kind of a weird line unless you understand the context, but pouring out your heart's perfume, pouring out what you have in all areas of your life as an act of worship, as an act of surrender to God, as an investment into his kingdom because God expects that return. But that woman, that is a generous attitude towards the kingdom. That, friends, is an attitude that says, God, I love you. I need you. Here is everything that you've given me. I'm going to give it back to you. So if I I personally, as Pastor Mitch, one of the pastors here at Parkway, 
I could have Corona and Sarnia in the area, no Parkway Church for one thing, I would want it to be that we were reliably and ridiculously generous. I would want people to drive by Parkway Church and say, man, those people are generous. Man, those people helped me when I needed it. Those people drove me when I needed a ride. Those people helped me fix my car when I needed it. If Parkway disappeared at a thin air, wouldn't you want people to miss our generosity? If Parkway vanished, wouldn't you want there to be a piece of this community missing, a refuge, a place where people can have needs met? A place where people could count on to take care of them. Wouldn't you want that to be a piece that was missing? Wouldn't you want people to remember our church as the church that met their needs? That pulled them out of the ditch when they needed help? Church, holistic generosity is the very heart of God. It's the very heart of Jesus. I believe in my, and I'm saying this just as much to myself, it was one of those messages, again, that as I was typing it out, as I was reading the scriptures, I said, man, does this apply to me? I kind of wish I could be on your side of it hearing it today because it really, really involves me in this too. But holistic generosity, are we giving God his return? Are we sowing what he's given us? And surrendering it to him. If you're, if you're a musician. Are you doing with your gift what God has asked you to do? If you are, are an artist. If you can paint and draw really well. God bless you. Because I can't draw anything to save my life. In fact my teachers in public school used to actually make fun of me. Because my, I was in grade 8. My sister was in grade 4. And my parents couldn't even tell our things apart. They couldn't tell whose was who. Because I was so bad at it. <laughs> but are you doing with your gift what God has asked you to do with it? And if you don't know what God is asking you to do with your gift, ask him. Begin to surrender what you can. Think of ways that you can be generous with what you've been given. Cut a piece of your time and offer it to God and see what happens to the rest of the hours of your week. Because a heart that's like Jesus, a heart that is trying to be more like God, is always going to end up with generosity at the end of the destination. So church, let's pray. Father, I thank you again that we can gather in your house today. I thank you for the people tuning in at home. God, until we can meet again, I thank you that we can experience your presence, your power, and your love, and mercy, and favor, all from where we are today. I pray, Jesus, in the same way that you've been convicting my own heart this week as I was preparing this today, that you would convict and tug at the hearts of those listening. Father, I pray that you would actually bless our minds today, anoint our minds and our hearts to remember what we've heard, that we would meditate on it, that we would be reminded of generosity, that we would, be rem uh, that we would think of different ways to sow into your kingdom. God, that we can offer you a better return on your investment in us for your kingdom. Lord, that we would be remembered at Parkway Church as the church that was generous, that gave, that wasn't stingy, that gave everything they had to, the to their community and to their God. 
We thank you that you were generous with us in your grace. God, not only do you give us salvation, but you actually bless us and you, and you communicate with us and you give us favor. God, there is no one more generous than you. Nothing that we have is warranted or merited or earned, but it's all given freely by you. And if we can grasp that today, then I think that we'll become more like you. So Father, let us have a good rest of our week. Bless those listening today. Bless those that may be tuning in at a different day. We thank you. We love you. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope that your week is blessed, that you were encouraged this morning. We will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.